we're looking at the names of Jesus, and this one is not one of the more obvious ones. He is the amen of God. We're calling that the agent of the will of God because the word amen is a difficult one for us to get across into English. For example, uh, in the song we sang, the Celtic song, Be Thou My Vision, there's a, a referral to a, a high king. It's hard for Americans to quite understand the word high king because in Ireland, everybody who had a tribe, you, you had a king for every tribe. Yeah, a re, R-I-G-H, but it's pronounced re. But they had a high king over Ireland, the Ardri. And that was uh, that whole concept of above all kings is this king. And there's another line in there that they've actually changed over the years. It used to say harp of my heart. Now it says heart of my heart. But harp of my heart is an old Gaelic expression, kruch makri, which meant the one who's in charge of my emotions and my responses. Sometimes it's hard to translate these things. Amen is one of those hard words. It, it means I agree. It means let it be done. It means truth. It means you're right. It, it's taken other forms, and sometimes in Scripture, uh, it'll be truly, truly, or verily, verily. But when people wanted to say something that they felt the community should agree upon, they would start with the amen. We usually end with it. In modern cultures, and in fact, most of the places around the world, they do not have a word for amen. Instead, they clap. That's their amen. That's their I agree, I like this. Even making deals. If you say a price, they say a price, we agree on a price. You will see them in the marketplaces in Africa and Asia touching the hand. That's their way of saying, amen. We agree. Well, when Jesus taught his apostles to pray, he put in the phrase in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10, let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's an amen. I want God's will to be done. And that's a hard question we have to ask ourselves repeatedly. Are we pushing our will or God's will? It's not always easy to decide. But Jesus knew how to do it. So we should follow him. Look at this passage in John chapter 6, verses 35 to 40. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me. Raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. This is Jesus saying, here is God's will. Amen. And I will live as the amen. Again, in English, very difficult concept for us. So let's put it a different way. I'm going to do something which is very ill-advised. The shepherds are now beginning to sweat. No, nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. But it's to use an illustration about the character and inner relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And every time you do that, there are exceptions. 
every time you form boxes to put them in, they don't stay in the box. But there are general principles that we can, we can take a look at in Scripture of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is the planner. He's the one who has determined what should be. Get that down. Then next, the Holy Spirit, who we sang about and sang to in here this morning. He knows, according to Scripture, the deep things of God. And he moves out first. As soon as a plan is made, the Holy Spirit moves. I sometimes call him a scout. I sometimes call him a forward observer, but none of those really work because where he goes out, he also equips. I'll never forget when our son came home from training with the Marine Corps Reserves and he had gotten another qualification. He was quite proud of it. And he kept explaining it to us, not understanding why his mother was not happy. He had just gotten his certification and a card for to being a forward observer for mortars. The guy that crawls out ahead of everybody else and tells him where to lob in the stuff around him. He thought this was, this was a, a wonderful thing and he enjoys his job. And I, I've, I had to tell him there are some things we don't tell mom. Um, let's just let her think you're a cook. Let's just go from there. Um, a cook in San Diego. Let's put you in San Diego. Let's put you somewhere nice. Well, the Holy Spirit goes out first, and then the plan has to go into action. And that's where you always find Jesus, showing up to take whatever the Father planned and be the amen of it. Another phrase, the agent of the will of God. He is the one who makes it happen. He's the one who says, thy will be done. And then he's the one who looks at us and says, Follow me. Do it this way. For example, when the earth was first formed, that I'd, I would like to have seen it. I hope they have reruns in heaven. I really do, because I'd like to have seen that one. And then look, look at all of us going, well, we were all wrong. Um, we all got that one wrong. That, that was that's still very nice. Can we see it again? He speaks it into existence. There's chaos there. What happens next? The spirit. Spirit moves out first, moves upon the face of the water. And where the spirit goes, the chaos turns to peace. And then the words come, let there be light. And normally, people get into arguments. They says, let there be light, but light has not created the stars and all that for days yet. So just stop it. Keep reading. John chapter 1, Jesus is the light. So let's back up. God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He speaks it into existence. The chaos is there. The spirit comes. Peace comes upon it. And God says, unleash Jesus. Let Jesus in there. He is the light that will drive back this darkness. He is the one who will make this work. And God wants to reach down and take the darkness away from mankind. But God doesn't reach down to do it. He sends Jesus. And Christ cast out demons, fulfilling his Father's will, he says. He states that he does so by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at that. Matthew chapter 12. They brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so he could both talk and see. 
And the people were astonished. And they said, could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? By the way, if you didn't know that, there was a thriving exorcist community among the Jews and had been since they had been in captivity in Babylon. So, back to scripture. So then, they'll be your judges. But if it's by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, when they said, you're casting out by Satan, he warns them. He says, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit because it's by his power I'm casting them out. Now, watch how they all come together. The Father plans that demons be taken from us and that we be free of them. The Holy Spirit then brings the power, but Jesus stands in the gap and does the plan. You see how this works? And you will find it throughout Scripture with some exceptions. But you will find it throughout Scripture as a general rule. Another one, it is God's will that we have peace that we have goodwill toward him and goodwill toward each other. But another held power upon this earth and that power had to be broken. So Jesus stands up in Luke chapter 4. What does he do? Let's take a look at this. By the way, if you don't know the scene of Luke 4, you've got to know the scene. In a synagogue, synagogue is a Jewish word for congregation. And they had men congregations and they had women congregations. Because they thought if you were together, you'd be distracted and you wouldn't be able to worship. So the men would be there and everybody would have a turn reading scripture. The scripture would be unrolled a little bit more each time and there was a certain order. I would know that on a certain date, my turn is to read whatever passage is open. Well, it was Jesus' turn to read. Guess which passage is open? It's out of Isaiah. And he reads this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God's will is that these people are free, the poor are lifted up. Then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone on the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And if you're not getting goosebumps right now, check your pulse. You might be dead. And if you're alive, why? Why, if you're not gonna let this touch you? Jesus reads a prophecy hundreds of years old to them about the will of God is to set loose the captives, lift up the fallen, take care of the poor, and he sits down. Now, in the synagogue, you sat down to teach. We don't do that because ministers get too comfy and they won't stop. So we make them stand up under heat lamps. I see your wee ploy. Anyway... So he sits down, and they're all looking at him because it's his turn. 
It's his turn to read and comment. And he goes, you know what I just read about? That's me. It's why I'm here. It's my job. And it starts today. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in that room? I hope, again, they give reruns and pan the audience for the reactions. It is God's will that we have peace. It is Jesus who comes and does it. It is Jesus who says, follow me. This is our job. This is our calling. This is what we're here to do. Before Jesus could do any of this, he had to face, had to face the devil. People, we've all got to face our demons. We've all got to face our fears. We've all got to face whatever it is that's held us back from being and doing what we ought to be and do. So Jesus goes into the desert. By the way, the scripture says he was led there by the Spirit. Once again, Spirit goes first. During that temptation, have you ever noticed what he did? We won't read it all, but have you noticed what he did? The devil would throw something at him and Jesus would quote scripture back. Devil throws something at him, Jesus quotes scripture back. Why? He is limiting himself to the words of God. I'm going to do a little side here. Don't worry, coming back pretty shortly. Maybe. It could happen. There are some who have come to me and, and very kindly, nobody has said it harshly. About why don't you comment about the issues facing our nation with the politics and the like? And I'll tell you why. As I read the Gospels over and over and over. And Jesus was in a far worse political situation than we have ever been in or ever will be in. And he never mentions it. Never. Paul is beaten up, thrown in prison. He is mistreated and eventually killed by the Romans. All of it unjust, all of it unfair. And he never writes a letter saying, attack the Romans. He never says, we've got to overthrow the Romans. He never calls people out into the streets against the Romans. You know why? Because this world is not ours. We are strangers and pilgrims here. We are a chosen people, a separate nation. We live out under our king. And I kept reading these, and I used to talk about politics a lot. I really did. I was just almost obsessed by it until I kept reading and noticing, as Sherlock Holmes would have put it, the dog that didn't bark. The thing which is missing, they never spoke. Why? He's busy doing the will of God. We can only sit back and judge others when we're, we got time. We have spare time. Um, this week, Cammie and I leave in the morning to drive up to Detroit. See, my son will be there a day and then drive up to um, Traverse City, Michigan, where I'll be working with the police for two days, uh, Michigan State Police. Then we'll drive back to Detroit, visit with, um, we're really visiting with her granddaughter and those people she lives with. And then... <laughs> drive back down. It'll be, uh, if I've done my mileage charts correctly, just shy of 1,900 miles on the road. That's a lot. And I got a lot of work to do when I'm there. And when I get back, I got a lot of work to do. And if my phone is any 
indication, I will get pinged all the way up and back. And people look at that and they'll say, don't you get tired? Um, yeah, a bit, but let's be fair. You don't want me with spare time on my hands. That would be dangerous. I need to be busy for Jesus or I will forget him. I will get distracted and I will not behave. I need to be busy about the kingdom of God. And I'm just arrogant enough to think you might have the same problem. We need to be about the Father's business. God's will is that we know God, that we remember God, that we understand what he wants from us. So who came to show us? Jesus did. He came, lived among us. He was a living presence of God among us, spoke to us, gave us comfort and peace, and, and in fact said, when I leave, I'm going to leave you the power to follow me. Look at John chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. By the way, how many churches have misused that one? To make it all kinds of commands about ritual and rules. When Jesus here was talking about follow me, love God, love each other. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. He's the agent of the will of God. He's the amen of God. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Wow. When I was a boy, I read that. And I thought, he's going to teach. If we pray right, we'll remember everything he ever said. That's not what he means. He means in the situation, in the moment, if you stop and you think, what is the will of God, and you say amen to it, you're going to say and do the right thing. But if ever it becomes your agenda, if ever it comes about you, one of the hard things, the hard things in life, I'll give you an easy statistic, one out of one dies. It's a hard thing. My father's now been formally diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And it's, it's hard to watch. Talked to him last night. And it can be difficult to see all of this. But here's the thing. Death teaches us something. We're all replaceable. This universe is not about us. I'm replaceable, I'm told often. <laughs> Everybody is. So if it's not about us, what is it about? It is about the will of God. And Jesus came to amen it and said, let your lives amen the will of God. Wow. It's a big job. Do you remember we talked about the angel of the Lord? And several of you, your eyes just kind of pinged and you went, oh, that, that's very interesting. We'd like to know more. And enough of you sent me emails, texts and such saying, we really want to know more about that. In a few weeks, we're going to come back and do part two. And we're going to take a look at all of the passages that mentioned all, uh, the angel of the Lord in Scripture. Uh, we will mention those we mentioned before, but we'll do those quickly 
and fill out the gaps, all right? So, you see, I do listen and do respond since I am replaceable and, you know, it's a week-by-week contract. The angel of the Lord, what was the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord was Jesus, making sure the will of God was done. All the will of God, from creation through all of Israel's trials and troubles, through all of the captivities, through Bethlehem, through Golgotha, and beyond. He is all about making sure the will of God is done. Let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Normally, when we pray that, we're thinking about in distant places. Let thy will be done in Washington. Let thy will be done in Syria. And those are fine. But remember, when Jesus said it, he was applying it personally. Let thy will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. Since that angel accepted worship and was referred to as God, we believe it is Jesus, the agent of the will of God. And much of the Old Testament is all about promises about the coming of Christ, the presence of Christ, the object lessons that are all through the Old Testament about the evil of sin. For example, the altar. When I was a boy, they would put up flannel graph figures. Do you remember flannel graph figures? Amazing things, so they were. Fuzzy fabric, kids. Fuzzy fabric. We had no PowerPoint. Most of us had black and white tellies at the televisions at the best. And, and somebody had to stand, usually the youngest kid had to stand there wearing the, the aluminum foil hat to get the second channel. So this flannel graph was amazing. Stop. Fuzzy fabric. And they would cut out characters and such. And so, for example, they would have little Jesus. And Jesus would go into the tomb. And they'd put the flannel graph rock on him. And, and we're going, oh, there he is. He's gone. And, and the teacher would stand in front of him, working like mad behind when she's talking to us. And then step to the side. And Jesus is out. Oh, amazing. That's it, that is. And we were, you know, how did that happen? It was very exciting stuff. And, and flannel, I, I, I got so entranced with these. I thought until I was like 12 or 13 that Peter really looked like this. Because that's, that's, that's the only way I had a joint articulation problem. But still, he was Peter and we loved him. Whenever they would put the flannel graph altar, it was a pretty thing. Well, it had a dead thing on top of it on fire, but it was a pretty thing. It looked, it looked like a nice brick barbecue you'd have in the backyard. It's not what the altar looked like. God said, you can't make it out of cut stone. It's got to be lumpy and ugly. And there's another rule, Israel. You can never clean it. It is going to have centuries of burnt fat, burnt skin, burnt blood. It's going to stink. It's going to be awful. Why? To remind you what sin is. The mercy seat on the top of the Ark of Covenant, the need for sacrifice, all of these were to show us we need Jesus, and then he comes. God does not want endless sacrifice. He doesn't want you to be in pain all your life and to struggle all your life. He wants you to be done with sin. He wants you to be free. Luke 4, he wants you to be free. Let the chains go. So, be about that business. I love it. When I pulled in this morning, that some people were already here. Why? Because there are support groups for those fighting addictions here not just on Sunday morning, but through the week. There are other ministries going on all over this place. 
to free the captives, lift up the fallen, amen the will of God. Why? Because Jesus told us, amen the will of God. Jesus is the agent of the will of God. And nowhere is that clearer if you want just a one-stop shop than John 14, when he says that the devil has no hold on him, but that he has come to do the will of God concerning us. Take a look at these passages. Matthew chapter 26. Put your sword back into its place, Jesus told him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call him a father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? I want you to remember this. As you watch the polls and you watch the politics and the fear starts setting in, God could call legions of angels any time he wants. Why isn't he? Because he isn't panicked. And if he's not, you don't need to be. I've been on a lot of flights in my time where I'm thinking, is, is, would now be a good time to panic? Is now good for everybody? And I'll look up and see the pilot because normally it's in one of those where he's sitting right there. And if he's not panicking, okay. I'm assuming he'd like to land too. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. You're allowed to ask. Yet, look at that. Not as I will, but as you will. I want to I stop right there. Freeze, freeze on that. I believe that if Jesus had not said, Yet not as I will, but as you will, God would have stopped the whole thing, and we would have all been damned. Because God loves Jesus. And he's not going to turn him down. But when Jesus said, nevertheless, I think the entire universe let out its breath. I think the angels in heaven shuddered and looked at each other and said, he's really going to do it. He's gone. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. May your will be done. We've got a couple more scriptures. I've gone a bit longer than I planned, so let's get to those. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Please remember that, church. God has people everywhere. They don't have to look like us, act like us, or think like us. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. You want God to love you? Now you know the secret. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. I'm going to do what I was told. I'm going to follow God and then let's wrap this up a little bit. I'm going to call you up in just a bit. Romans chapter 9. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. It is not therefore depend upon human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. 
For Scripture says to Pharaoh, by the way, stop right there. Normally when we read verse 15, we think about, oh, so God's leaving some out. The, the panic in the church in Rome was the people God loves, they didn't think were lovable. He's loving too many for them. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and my name might be proclaimed into all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he has, wants to have mercy, and he hardens who he wants to harden. You sang a while ago, I'll rise up and be your voice. That's what it's saying. And he says in Hosea, I'll call them my people who are not my people. I'll call her my loved one who's not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. The will of God. Come ahead and bring your group, would you please? We were... I'll, I'll back it up a bit. One of the members of the church where we were uh, years ago in West Virginia asked if my daughter could come spend the night with her daughter. We said, sure. There's a Saturday night. We'd see him next morning at church. Well, I got a phone call late that night, or later that night. And she said, um, in the morning, we're doing our devotions out of Galatians, and I just want to make sure that was okay with you. And I, I said, um, sure. They were doing devotions at breakfast and then coming into church. She thought we did church every morning at breakfast. We don't. And I felt a little humbled <laughs> that, that she thought, uh, she must have thought, thought we floated around the house going, ha, oh, you know, and, and angelic chorus. <laughs> and, we, and we don't, usually, usually, usually uh, there, are, there are moments. When we were asked, how do you raise your children? I said, Deuteronomy 6, along the way. Talk about him when you stand up. Talk about him when you sit down. Talk about him when you go out. Talk about him when you come in. Do this along the way. Don't let Jesus become episodes in your life. Sunday morning, little prayer group, don't let that happen. Be the amen of the will of God along the way. Amen, church?